0: People who came to Apple in the 21st century don't understand just how different 1990s Apple was. Imagine an Apple that worked with the media to share pictures of prototypes it was working on in its product design lab. 90s Apple did that. In those fleeting moments before it bought Next, Steve Jobs returned to Apple, and everything changed. And nothing exemplifies the Apple of this period better than the Mac it released to celebrate its own birthday— almost a year late.
1: You know, there's one other value that I haven't mentioned yet, and of course that is industrial
0: design. And we want to push the limits as we decided to celebrate our 20th anniversary. It's 20 Macs for 2020. I'm Jason Snell. This is number 12, the 20th Anniversary Macintosh. The story of the 20th Anniversary Mac begins and ends with an Apple keynote. But this keynote is far from what we've come to expect from an Apple event. I was there. So was my old boss, Rick LePage, who was an editor at MacWeek at the time.
2: They showed it in January 97, MacWorld Expo, in the worst possible way, at the tail end of a three-hour keynote. And you could barely see it. Everyone was exhausted.
1: Here's John Gruber. It was unveiled at undeniably the worst Apple keynote that has ever been delivered or will ever be delivered. It was the first keynote after Apple had agreed to buy Next and bring Steve Jobs back to the company at the time only as an advisor, and Jobs himself did take the stage at one point. And so you would think, oh, that must have been when the keynotes got good again because Steve Jobs came back and took the keynote. No, <laughs> no, no. This this is the worst keynote you could ever possibly imagine. And Gil Emilio went up there with no notes, no preparation, and decided that he should talk for a long time.
2: <laughs> Everything that we remember from a crisp, beautiful, choreographed Steve Jobs product intro, this was like the antithesis of that. I mean, it was like the polar opposite. It was so bad.
0: What better time to launch a new Mac than at the very end of a grueling three-hour-long keynote? And as an anticlimax to one of the most dramatic moments in tech industry history, as Steve Jobs returned to the stage with an opportunity to explain his plan to rescue the Mac by importing the Next Step operating system.
2: And then he had Jobs and Woz come out to, to have this like weird friends reunion or something like that. And Woz had his eternal smile on and and Jobs, you could just tell, you know, he was like, I didn't sign up for this part of the the thing.
3: Here's Stephen Hackett. And they give both him and Steve Wozniak a 20th anniversary Mac. And it's the most awkward thing you've ever seen. Because like Jobs, you can tell, just detests it. He hates the people on stage. He thinks they're bad at their jobs. Gil, Emilio makes this joke about the serial numbers. It's like really kind of out of taste. We're going to give two of these two, the two Steves, and all we have to do is sort out who gets which serial number. And
0: the tradition on that, as you may know from the story, is uh, Steve Wozniak got badge number one, so we're going to give him serial number one. Steve Jobs took serial number zero. And on top of all that, to use Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak as props to promote this thing. But that's what happened. The 20th anniversary Macintosh was star-crossed from the very beginning. First, let's take the name. Anyone would assume that the product was designed to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Macintosh, but that wouldn't happen until 2004. This product was attached to the 20th anniversary of the founding of Apple in 1976. So add 20 years. That's 1996. But the 20th anniversary Mac wasn't announced until 1997. They'd already missed the date. Then there's the product itself, and it's hard to say where to begin with this. It costs $7,500. It looks like no computer ever made up to that point, with a horizontal face featuring a laptop screen, an upright CD-ROM drive, and stereo speakers. It looks more like a whimsical concept you'd find in Apple's design studio, one of dozens of investigations of potential future designs of Apple products. And that's because that's exactly what it was. You may not believe this, but back in the mid-90s, one of the ways Apple tried to keep its reputation as a visionary company was by carting product concepts out of its design lab and showing them to the public. Here's James Thompson.
4: There's a book that I have, which is Apple Design, the work of the Apple Industrial Design Group. And it's the most fascinating book, I think, about Apple, because it has all of these prototypes that they made for different designs showing multiple iterations of things, and dated as well. And they have prototypes that look like the 20th anniversary Mac back in 1992. So it shows how long these designs kind of percolate around inside the industrial design group.
0: The May 1995 issue of Macworld and the October 1996 issue of MacUser both featured extended photo essays about products directly from Apple's design lab. Both magazines show a lot of experimentation with LCD monitors in desktop computers, anticipating the rapidly approaching era where flat screens would replace tube-based displays everywhere. Both stories include images of weird, upright desktop Mac concepts with built-in flat screens that look an awful lot like the ancestors of the product Apple would roll out in January of 1997 as the 20th anniversary Mac. There's really no way of getting around it. The 20th anniversary Mac is an escapee from Apple's design lab. It's a concept computer that somehow was put into production.
5: Boy, what a diversion. Here's John Syracuse. Of all the things Apple could make, they decided we're going to make a computer to celebrate the 20th anniversary of our company. And it's going to be the computer equivalent of a concept car. It's almost like Apple contracted it out. To some other company to make a concept car Mac, and they just stuffed a bunch of current Mac internals in it and then tried to sell it for a lot of money and pass it off as a celebration of Apple. That may be the most Apple thing about it.
6: It really did fill the function of a concept car. Here is something that, and look, it's it's under glass, and it's on that rotating platform at Macworld. This is Andy Anatko, who was a
0: columnist at Mac User Magazine at the time
6: you can see it's actually running and working. Here's our idea uh, of technologies that we're looking at for future Macintoshes. Notice that it has upgraded sound. Notice that it has a, a flat panel display on a desktop. Notice that it's as wonderful as a media playback device as anything else, because we think that the computer is going to be your media player as well. And boy, we would have loved that. And then when the first LCD desktop Macs came out a few years later, we see, oh, yes, you see, we saw that. And here's a a picture of me from Macworld next to the the prototype Mac. But yeah, for $8,000, and now you're expecting people to actually use the thing.
5: Do you remember that issue of Macworld that had, I think, I'm assuming Macworld paid for frog design to make future Macs? And they made models. Like, they weren't working computers. They were just industrial design models. Yes, John, I do remember that issue. I
0: think I pointed out last episode how angry it made me. I remember it very clearly. This would have fit in perfectly there, except this was a
5: complete working computer that Apple actually
0: sold. (sighs) You're not wrong. It would have fit in perfectly with those dumb, dumb designs.
1: Companies that unveil prototypes, it is a bad idea almost always it's a bad idea from a product marketing standpoint because you're making whatever's already out look bad because you're saying the last 10% is the hardest 90% of the work you're going to do or something like that. But that's what concepts avoid. They avoid all the hard work of actually finishing and shipping and putting it into a price tag that is profitable for the company and affordable for the intended market. You you skip all of that hard work and you just say, but just look, it's a cool idea. Isn't this awesome? You know, and the 20th anniversary Mac exemplified that.
0: Apple only made a few thousand of these things. But of course, my friend Stephen Hackett has one.
3: He bought it for himself on his 30th birthday. It's the weirdest computer I own. <laughs> It's so strange, Jason. You know, one way it's like this cool prototype iMac. It's got laptop parts and built-in LCD. It looks kind of like an iMac if you're drunk 50 feet away, but it is the hallmark of 1990s Apple in both good and bad ways. If you haven't seen one, you got to go find pictures of it. It's kind of bronze with like metal flake in the in the plastic and the paint and everything. The, the keyboard has a leather palm rest, The trackpad can be clipped in like where it would be in a notebook where you could take it out and use a mouse. It's all really over-designed and and honestly probably over-engineered. My favorite feature of it actually, it has this incredible sound system. So when the word came down that Apple was
0: going to take this prototype and turn it into a real product, the systems team at Apple knew very well that it was going to be expensive and not particularly impressive. It's a bad combination. So what could they do to make it more impressive? They came up with the idea of making it a computer with a great sound system built in. And Apple went to Bose and cut a deal to collaborate, including a box that was a combination power supply and subwoofer.
2: We had one in the offices for like three weeks. And basically the only thing that it was good for, according to Dale Coleman, our lab guy, was playing music.
3: I think the idea was that this could be a computer, but also like your entertainment system. So it has this huge outboard power supply and subwoofer, which is effectively the size of like the trash can Mac Pro. Actually, I think it's taller. It's pretty big, and it's this huge like twenty-five pin umbilical cord over to the computer, and it's all very strange. And it's on this hinge, so you can adjust the the angle of the the display and the computer. So all that's cool. Like it, it, you know, in the product video, you see like a Johnny Ive before he started shaving his head, and. He's talking about how beautiful it is and how it points to the future.
5: So if you imagine an object that is a television, that's a radio, that's a computer, whatever computer means. You imagine an object that um, has an incredible sound system. You imagine all of those functionalities, all of those technologies. You imagine them converging into one object. What should that object be? What on earth should it look like?
3: But then it was kind of a mediocre computer because... They had to put not the highest end parts in it. And the CD drive was up on its side, which was pretty hard to do in the day. So it, it ran kind of slowly. And the screen's not fantastic.
6: And it, the ergonomics were weird. It was so weird. It, it was a really cool design. And for $8,000, then you uh, you take a look inside it and know it's essentially like a middle-of-the-road powerbook book with all of its components laid out differently. So it's not as though you're getting anything interesting in performance. You're getting some cool speakers, but, you know, you can buy cool speakers anywhere.
0: That all said, you can see why the 20th anniversary Mac was built the way it was in Apple's design labs. By creating an all-in-one desktop Mac out of laptop parts, it was prefiguring
5: the future of the Mac by several years. If you look at this computer, like, wow, look, it ushered in the era of flat panel screens and having an all-in-one computer where the display and the computer are combined and using interesting materials and the first introduction of molded metal elements with the big foot and emphasis on sound with the Bose system and leather and there's a lot in this that if you connect the lines on your giant red yarn board
3: on the side of your room you can connect this to all sorts of stuff in the modern computer i do think that's why it's kind of apple at its best Because they do have these products sometimes that, okay, this might not make much sense today, but it's going to make a lot of sense in three or four years. You
4: can see where they're heading. It was kind of a prototype, really, for where the LCD iMac was going Like many years later. It was the first Mac that looked like what a desktop
1: Mac would basically look like just within a handful of more years. It certainly showed why Steve Jobs would go back in, maybe with a gut feeling of, I got a clean house here and get everybody out of here, but then met Johnny Ive and Johnny Ive's team and realized, hey, these guys are good. There is talent here, and the 20th anniversary Mac shows it. Was it a good product? No. It should have been a secret project that never saw the light of day outside the labs, and then maybe Apple could have you know, 15, 20 years later, come out and said, hey, by the way, let's just show you something we had in the labs back in 1997. And everybody would be like, whoa, that was amazing. No wonder, you know, Johnny I was amazing.
0: Perhaps the longest lasting impact the 20th anniversary Macintosh had was in our culture. Almost nobody bought one, but Apple's emissaries in Hollywood managed to place them on the sets of TV shows and movies where they were
4: immortalized. I think that the most notable uses of the 20th anniversary Macintosh were appearing in films and TV shows and stuff. Jerry Seinfeld had one on his TV show. Chandler Bing had one on Friends.
1: (laughs) Jerry Seinfeld obviously famously had one. That's usually my reference is that Seinfeld had one.
0: That's Christina Warren, who cares so much about the Macs on Jerry Seinfeld's desk. She once shamed Hulu into replacing a PC that had placed into a replica of the Seinfeld apartment it built for a promotion with a Mac by writing a scathing blog post about it. It turns out John Gruber cares too.
1: It's also one of the most famous bits of product placement in Mac history, and you know what I'm thinking.
0: Uh, is it that Jerry Seinfeld had one? Right. It was. He had many Macs before that, but he did at one right. point have a 20th anniversary Mac on that on that desk in the background. Right.
1: And as a Mac nerd in the 90s when the mac even when it wasn't beleaguered you felt like you were in a secret club and as a f- enormous fan of the seinfeld show it, the fact that he had a mac back there was always like hey cool but then when it was like towards the end when it became a 20th anniversary mac it was like hey there's no way this guy would have a 20th anniversary mac <laughs> right cuz in the show he wasn't jerry seinfeld the guy with a massively popular sitcom making tens of millions of dollars a year. He was just like a semi-successful stand-up comedian in New York City.
0: Oh, so Seinfeld wasn't a show about nothing. Turns out it was a show about a guy with a Mac in the corner of his apartment. But someone else had a 20th anniversary Mac, too. Someone even more impressive, dare I say it, than Jerry Seinfeld.
4: Perhaps most famously in the classic film Batman and Robin where Alfred somehow got hold of a prototype that was running the dark, high-tech theme from the betas of Mac OS 8.5 that never actually shipped. Sadly, it didn't come with the, the UW-Carney keyboard layout that Batman used.
0: Just as an aside, there's a scene in Batman and Robin. That's the one with George Clooney and Arnold Schwarzenegger, where Batman types on a keyboard in the Batmobile, and you see that the keyboard has the space bar at the top, And the first row of letters on the keyboard is U-W-C-A-R-N-Y, the Ucarney keyboard. Look, Batman is an unconventional dude with unconventional taste in keyboards. And Alfred uses a 20th anniversary Macintosh. Product placement aside, the 20th anniversary Mac was not a very good Mac. Apple cut the price from $74.99 to $3,500 to finally nineteen ninety five when it was discontinued in order to clear out inventory. Customers who bought it when it cost $74.99 were given a free power
4: book as an apology. It's ridiculous and I'm glad it shipped, but it shouldn't have.
6: It was just such a misfire from top to bottom. It's really super, super disappointing.
3: It is a special Mac, but yeah, you're right. It should not be a thing. It says everything about Apple that it is.
6: You know, we got some really great
2: design out of Apple in the next decade. We got some Macs that were stunningly well-built. This one was the dog, you know? Which brings us back to where
0: we started, on stage at Macworld Expo. Gil Emilio introducing the 20th anniversary
3: Macintosh and using Steve Jobs as a foil. It's like, dude, you just like brought this guy into your company, and he's going to own you in very... Short period of time, but there's the 20th anniversary Mac just on stage kind of soaking it all in. The reviews of Gil Emilio's big show were unkind.
2: On Friday morning, my assistant came running to find me and he's like, Rick, 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 I've got Mr. Emilio on the phone for you. And I look at him and I'm like, Gil Emilio? First of all, no Apple CEO is going to call me. And he's like, yes, yes, yes. He's waiting on the line. It wasn't even his assistant talking to to my assistant. And I guess the ratings had come in and they were bad. And he literally said to me, Rick, was it really that bad? Was I really that bad? And I was like, Gil, it was so long. It just felt unfocused. And he was like, I tried so hard. <laughs> I mean, it was pathetic. It was one of the weirdest phone calls I ever had. Gil Emilio
0: was Apple's CEO for about a year and a half, and he deserves credit for fighting off a lot of questionable offers for companies to buy Apple out and instead making the decision to buy next and bring Steve Jobs back to Apple. Without that move, Apple probably goes out of business. Now, I've already talked about his legendarily catastrophic Macworld Expo keynote, but I haven't mentioned the major role Gil Emilio played in the release of the 20th anniversary Mac, or TAM. The fact is... This thing was his baby.
1: So if you've never read his book, 500 Days on the Firing Line, which is a great read because it's so, oh, the lack of self-awareness is just fantastic. He talks a lot about that project and he talks about it as he's angry that he's not getting credit for the the, the TAM. And it's like, dude, you should not get credit for this.
2: The 20th anniversary Mac kind of said everything you want to say about the pre- Steve Jobs two era, it was a machine somebody high up saw and said, oh, gee, I, I think I'd love to have that on my
0: desk. That person was Gil Emilio. I talked to somebody who worked at Apple during this period who told me that all the people in the hardware group who built this thing knew it should never have been released to the public. But Gil Emilio insisted that it had to be shipped. It was his baby. He was going to make his mark on the computer industry, which might explain
2: the next part. Do you know that part of Gil Emilio's severance from Apple was that he wanted a boxed 20th anniversary Mac that was in, in his severance agreement? He got whatever it was, 15 million, 60 million. I had to remember the exact number of millions he got, but he very specifically wanted a 20th anniversary Mac.
0: Now, you can maybe make the case that the introduction of the 20th anniversary Mac was the lowest point during a whole series of low points for Apple in the mid 90s. Yes, the computer itself was a bizarre prototype with a ridiculous sticker price that only escaped the lab because of the ego of the company's CEO. But consider, that moment when it was introduced was a few minutes after Gil Emilio had welcomed Steve Jobs on stage, the moment that Jobs really, officially, publicly returned to Apple and set foot on the stage at Macworld Expo again. In that moment, Apple's entire direction changed. A listless public event from an unprepared CEO became an electrically charged presentation laying out how Next Step was going to lead to the future of the Mac. The introduction of the 20th anniversary Mac was an afterthought. It was all over but the shouting. Gil Emilio would walk away from Apple with a 20th anniversary Mac as part of his severance package. Apple walked away with Steve Jobs. And the rest is history. 20 Max for 2020 was written and produced by me, Jason Snell. My thanks to John Gruber, Stephen Hackett, Andy Anotko, Rick LePage, John Syracuse, James Thompson, and Christina Warren. Special shout out to Jerry Seinfeld and Alfred, but not Batman. Brian Hamilton provided post-production help. I'll be back next week with number 11.